You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by ZeroMo, a non-profit initiative helping transition to battery-powered lawn and gardening equipment and electric vehicles using 100% renewable energy. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and also the EV Focus website, The Driven. Now, this today is the second in our series of podcasts from the recent Electric Vehicle Transition Conference we held in Sydney in August. And it was a terrific success. Lots of interesting presentations from industry, from politicians, from people making charging equipment, from people making automobiles, from the utilities and all the other people who have an interest in the electric vehicle transition and I think it affects so many different parts of the society. Now on the first series of this we we heard from Tim Washington, the CEO and founder of Jet Charge and I do recommend you tug into that podcast if you haven't already heard it. Today we're hearing from Greg Stabe and he's the head of consumer analytics at the Australian Energy Market Operator. Now of course AEMO, as it's known for short, has the response not just of keeping the lights on, but also shepherding the country through the in what it sees as the inevitable energy transition and the shift to renewables and clean energy. Not just because we need to, but also because it seems to be the right thing to do and it's probably going to be the cheapest and cleanest and most reliable thing to do. Now, electric vehicles are going to play a major role in that. Just think of all, let's say those forecasts are right and we get 10 million electric vehicles onto the roads. Let's say it might be 2030, 20 2035-2040. How are we going to manage that? What are we going to do with it? Is it just going to add to peak demand? Or is it going to be a resource that we can actually tap into and use for the grid? And who's going to be driving those cars? When are they going to be driven? When are they going to be used for the grid? I found Greg Stabe's presentation absolutely fascinating. Um, I think we can see electric vehicles not just um, as, a, as a potential demand load, but also as a potential storage load. If you add all those electric vehicles together, you end up with something bigger than Snowy Hydro 2.0 and um, just imagine what that what that might be like and how that might be used and I found Greg's presentation really fascinating. I do hope you enjoy it and do listen out for our next podcast when we, when we present more presentations from the Electric Vehicle Transition Conference. Please listen to Greg Stabe, the Head of Consumer Analytics at the Australian Energy Market Operator. Imagine you finish work after five and you're going to get a ride share over to the new town. Look at your phone and the price is six times higher than you normally pay. So instead of going out with your friends, you go home. But there's no traffic. That same year though, say it's 20 years in the future, record droughts because of climate change in New South Wales means the water levels just aren't quite there as they normally are. At the same time in South Australia, massive heat records on show. What have these factors got to do with the price you're paying for your rideshare? Well, in 20 years' time, we could be well in a future where there's a convergence of all these markets. Drought in New South Wales means less water, less water for the hydro power stations, so potentially putting upward pressure on electricity prices. The network, electricity network, extends all the way down in South Australia. High temperatures, high demand. Your ride-sharing service could indeed find better value from their autonomous fleet, into the network substation 
knowing that I'm not prepared to pay the price differential because of their data mining techniques, so they know that they can guarantee that supply to the energy market. That's just one possible future that we're just starting to think about at AMO now, and how the rise of different kinds of technologies, in particular electric vehicles, with the convergence of all these different markets, environment, water, energy, transport, and of course, uh, telecommunications, are all interplaying with each other to really give a different landscape for the future, which we normally uh, have used to be seeing for the last uh, 20 years. Uh, as Giles tried to guess my job title, I'm the head of the consumer forecasting and analytics stream uh, in the forecasting division at AMO. So we're responsible for providing long-term advice to our planning publications and our network planners and supply modelers, and really uh, to tell Australia what we think could be the future and what we need to look out for. Um, and we've just released a major publication, the Electricity Statement of Opportunities, last week, uh, with some of the forecasts in there for electric vehicles as well as other technologies. Uh, AMO, if you don't already know it, it uh, is Australia's electricity market operator. We operate in, across the national electricity market, which encompasses all the eastern states, uh, as well as uh, forecasting roles and operating the Western Australian uh, market. We have a regulatory function and advice function in Northern Territory. Uh, we provide long-term forecasts. Indeed, my team's across all those jurisdictions, so we really are looking at Australia uh, with our forecasts. The, um, we also operate the gas markets as well, and uh, the ownership is 40% market participants with government uh, 60%. We understand that uh, the energy sector is uh, changing from the traditional power plant, transmission, distribution network uh, to the consumer, uh, changing now to integrating renewables, as well as large scale and uh, rooftop PV on people's roofs. Uh, we have more a role of active network management, um, getting more and more focused now as more and more intermittent generation comes online. Electric electricity storage, demand side participation, and of course EV charging are the key areas. And today, uh, I will speak mostly just on EV charging. Although we have to think systems-based approach when we when we think about this kind of technology with our forecasts. In essence. Um, you heard a good presentation from Bloomberg just before that EVs are on their way. Um, and what we're looking at is the potential for the difference in adoption rates as well as how they interact with the grid um, in different scenarios because uh, how that plays out has a really transformative effect on the way we consume and use electricity from current levels. Uh, we identified at the start of the year that we can't do it on, the, on our own. Uh, it's something that's going to involve quite a lot of sectors. Uh, so we've we are wanting to increase our coordination with the transport sector, as well as um, other industry participants, chargers and the like, uh, so we can develop a better roadmap for forecasting and monitoring uh, this new technology that's hitting Australia as well as the world. Uh, and I'm going to outline today the kind of roadmap that we've uh, drafted together for, um, for the past six months. And hopefully today I'll get some more inputs from the likes of you today. So. At the start of this year, we had uh, two workshops uh, with inviting as many people as we could from the transport, energy, environment, and government along um, to try and identify what should we be thinking about when it comes to electric vehicles in terms of their adoption, their usage, and of course, what scenarios should we be modeling? What are the, what are the leading indicators that we need to be considering in order to ensure that we're capturing the breadth of uncertainty? Uh, one thing's for sure is we're not going to get our forecasts completely right, um, but what we identified was 
by working together and getting better information out there in the public, we can get the conversation progressing to more advanced discussions. It's not how many EVs are going to hit Australia, it's which suburb in Australia is going to get hit first, which vehicle type in that suburb is going to be the one interacting most strongly with the grid. And we're looking to develop a more common forecasting approach, agreed data sets, and possibly data that we can share to help better inform industry uh, for this technology. Uh, so the main drivers that we wanted to split it on um, was adoption and charging. Uh, and you'll see why that matters most from, from our perspective. Uh, the drivers that we've identified with um, others is government plans and policies, you've heard that before, uh, road and transport pricing, uh, the price competitiveness of EVs versus the internal engine counterparts, and of course, how the ownership models are, are changing. Are they going to be owned, leased, shared? Uh, the charging behavior, um, particular focus for my, for my team at AMO, uh, the cost of charging, this will influence how it interacts in the market. The availability uh, and access to charging stations, is it far away from where the person lives? Is it at someone's office? And of course, the tariff structures, traditionally that the pricing model for, for the industry is, is around tariffs. How they're set up can really dictate how people engage um, um, charging the vehicles. Of course, metering and supply arrangements are very important. Oh, thanks. So, probably a bit too small, but don't worry, I'll just speak to it. Um, you could think of the EV adoption just kind of three main areas that we're thinking. Fast, neutral, slow. And these are going to um, have different kind of time horizons where we need to be focusing on those particular different um, influences. So in the short term, as you heard, um, we spoke before, government policies are probably really important as evidence shows in the United States has been a strong influencing factor for adoption. Um, access to capital for people to buy uh, EVs, um, the cost comparativeness with internal combustion engines, alternatives, public transport, if a city improves their public transport immensely, then potentially the driver for, for people wanting to get electric vehicles decreases. How convenient is charging? Um, if they don't, people don't have access to the charging stations, then they may not buy an EV until they get that um, recognisable feature down the road. Uh, if, if you live off the street, you don't have a driveway, do you just put an extension cord from your house out into the street? Those are the kind of you know, questions we need to be thinking about. A fleet vehicle ownership, that's been a factor that uh, could really uh, cause a binary change, thanks for that term, uh, for, for adoption of EVs in Australia. And of course, uh, quite critically, range and model availability. The charging behaviour, so how a user connects to charge their vehicle, um, the, the costs, the tariffs, the incentives, fleet ownership and driving behaviour. These are only three words listed here, but quite you could unpack that quite considerably. Um, the driving behaviour at AMO, we aren't road experts, uh, traffic experts or the like, so we look to, to get advice and more collaboration with other participants uh, to really understand, um, you know, this, this factor here, if, if people are driving their car when we think it's preferable for the grid perspective to charge, then we have to discount that scenario as quite plausible if, if that's not going to um, cut in the future. Fleet ownership, uh, potentially those ones, those charging behaviours connecting uh, together in concert, so you could see immediate changes in consumption or load profiles um, from, a, from a typical electricity day in the network, as opposed to, say, a mass market consumer who might charge just the way their behaviour is.
Uh, and the charging costs, tariffs and incentives all matter. And getting a handle, getting an idea of what that future landscape will look like with those tariffs, what incentives are there, and the charging costs uh, really dictate how we consider them in our model. We think about the best, the, the worst case is everyone charges during peak demand. I mentioned that example before, if it's a really hot day, everyone's using their air conditioning. If EVs are charging at that time, um, that's obviously something that we would like to avoid due to the uh, resilience of the system um, and all the other factors that a, a system operator needs to consider. Off-peak is the other regime. What, what, what's a future in which we can get um, a lot of off-peak charging, but again, re reflecting that people are driving their cars, they're buying an EV for the sake of buying an EV, they're not paying attention so much to what I'm paying attention to, which is the operation of the electricity market. So how, do, how, we, how we put this in a model, how, how, can we, how can we express this, how can we make it clear in a framework uh, that'll enable us to try and answer these questions and simulate these future um, adoption and charging landscapes. So I said the three different kind of time horizons, um, three different adoption scenarios, fast, neutral, slow, peak and off-peak. And looking to get, for each of these items, better granularity of data, better granularity of models, and of course, the way I feel the value of the models are is how transparent are they to inform decision makers today on what possible um, opportunities and um, threats or uh, risks that we need to consider from a planning process. So the forecast, it's a, it's a, it's a big task, I admit that we can't handle that on our own. It's going to take a, quite a few iterations before we actually get to a, a, a state in which we can move from forecasting to, to monitoring. Uh, this roadmap indicates the kind of um, approach we're going to take right now um, into the next one, two years. Form partnerships. We want to know, uh, like people and yourselves, who you are and what you see as, as the major challenges and drivers for electric vehicle adoption uh, in Australia and how they interact with the market or how people interact with their EVs. Um, so as a market operator, we can get more exposure to that. The specification, um, we want to ensure that the, um, the, the model that we develop is well fit. Does it, does it cut the mustard? Can we change it over time? Is, is it fit for purpose? Vitally, it's not we're not waiting to get there. We just know that it's going to take a long time to get there is core indicators. Does anyone in Australia know the exact number of electric vehicles at the moment? I didn't think so. <laughs> That needs to change, and it needs to change very quickly. Uh, but it will take time to get there, and it's not going to take the likes of AIMA working on its own. It's going to take a, a lot of um, a lot of stakeholders working together and, and um, to try and get that communication out there. That this is something that has to be um, identified, because identifying those data sets will enable us to um, validate our models and also calibrate if we see trends changing and reveal probably uh, nuances that we might not have noticed happening in the, in the market because the unknown unknowns are what the really things we should we want to we will worry about and of course reliable data sources over time if we can we can get a, a agreed data source you know potentially we have a third party who a trusted third party that looks after the data list of all the EV charging stations in Australia list of proposed EV charging stations spatial data sets can this be updated regularly? Who are the who? Which who finds these data sets value? If if they are, 
certainly I would at AMO find those valuable, um, but we want to make sure that it's fit for purpose for the, for the wider industry. So that, that kind of outlines the main um, modeling, uh, the modeling framework that we're, we're taking now. And I thought I'd communicate just some draft results that we've been working on now. So based on what we mentioned before about segmentation, um, here's just a, an example of potentially New South Wales, 20 years time. Um, on one of the scenarios, say there's about 1.3 million residential electric vehicles out there. Um, you can see that's the kind of grey wedge there we've got there. On the x-axis is the time of day. Um, this is kind of how we normally look at our data at AMO because we're very sensitive about uh, the time nature of the megawatt. Um, we've got uh, light commercial as another segment that we think it's uh, worth identifying separately. And the heavy transport trucks um, and indeed buses. See a little feature there with little triangle upset up tick at the, at the bottom. Um, that's representing um, articulated long haul Sydney to Melbourne, Sydney to Brisbane trucks that go overnight, plug in straight away in the morning. This may not necessarily be the future, but from a truck company perspective, they need to get those trucks car charged as quick as possible. Um, so there may be some augmentation in the load profile or, or the shape of a day that we expect the electric vehicle fleet to have that has to reflect um, the, uh, the, the use case of the people with the technology. I've ov we've overlaid here um, a possible... PV, rooftop PV time of day. Um, you can see that at the moment rooftop PV is not quite at that penetration, but in the future it could well be get up to that level of 3,000 megawatts capacity. Um, to just highlight that there is probably, that we see immense value there in that part of the day uh, for these technologies to potentially charge in. On the right hand side, um, same graph, um, just split by what we're looking at these time day charge profiles. Is it convenient? What's one that, an off-peak one that, that could exist during the day that captures the, the magnitude of the vehicles? Um, this particular scenario doesn't have a lot of overnight charging. Um, again, this one's looking at the effect of the midday peak in 20 years' time. And it's the last chart I'll just show. Again, time of day, this is a, this is a typical system demand curve. If you go to a website, you'll see these curves all the time. It represents um, the... It represents the, the electrical, electricity load profile through a day. Um, up until about 2009, it would follow that top of the blue line all the way to that peak, all the way down overnight. And that represents people getting up in the morning, going to work. This is a particularly hot day, so there's a lot of air conditioning in use. And then at the peak, when businesses shut down and people go home, still there's a usage in the evening and then drops down. That blue wedge in the middle, uh, purple wedge in the middle represents the changing load profile due to rooftop PV carving out that middle of the day that normally um, wasn't there. So consumers taking energy into their own hands now has had a, you know, is actually having a manifest, uh, manifest shape in the uh, electricity load profile. This is a forecast for 20 years time, but if you look at South Australia today, you can, you can see that happening right now. And that orange, orange wedge represents um, electric, this profile from before the electric vehicle, what effect that could have on top of that curve. So really, from a system operator perspective, how this wedge operates on a hot day, an average day, or any day, um, can really be so dependent on those different factors that I identified before. Um, but the contribution to peak demand, which is a price setter for, for um, a lot of the market, and indeed, is, a, is, you know, if you pay attention to summer, um, some electricity reports, it's a, it's a real risk when we 
um, have to supply electricity at that time. Could electric vehicles charge during the off-peak or peak out of during the day or overnight? So there's a real opportunity for electric vehicles to, to help out um, as the change in the uh, load profile over time occurs uh, throughout the Australia. And so as I started the talk, although it's a potentially a one-hour wait for me to get to Newtown if, or Surrey Hills or whatever if I wanted to get a cheap Uber ride, but the benefits for the convergence of technologies with electric vehicles is more than just that. It can really um, shape Australia's economy in the future. So thank you for your time. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by ZeroMo, the non-profit initiative that supports battery electric alternatives for lawn and gardening maintenance. ZeroMo helps transition to cleaner and quieter garden power tools and electric vehicles powered by 100% renewable energy. Visit zeromo.com.au and find out how you can make the switch to zero emission, petrol-free lawn and garden maintenance.